Beloved congregation, it's my privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for your prayers for my son. Um, Holly and I, God willing, will go down to Columbus, Ohio tomorrow to be with him. And the reason we didn't go till now was first the Lord gave me a burden to preach the message that I'm about to preach tonight. I feel that, that it's important for our congregation. Uh, but secondly, he was in such bad shape that we would not have been able to visit him in the hospital and we would have probably been more in the way than helpful. Uh, but God willing, we'll be going down tomorrow. Uh, but the message that I, I prayed about before I selected the text that I think it's important for us comes from 1 Timothy chapter 5. And I'd like to encourage you to um, open your Bibles or your devices and keep that Scripture in front of you as we walk through it together because it's God's own Word. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Hear God's Word. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear." In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments." The sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So ends the reading of God's holy and inspired Word. Please keep your Bibles open to that text. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, how we thank You for Your Word and how we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. And we pray now for the working of Your Spirit by and with the Word uh, that You would open Your Word to our minds and hearts and that You would open our minds and hearts to Your Word. For Jesus' sake, amen. It's no secret that our congregation is going through uh, trying times. A number of people have left our congregation. A couple of former elders who have left have sent us open letters bringing accusations against one of our pastors and against our elders. What are we supposed to think? What are we supposed to do? And I don't really know any more than you. I'm not on the session. Um, but I do know that God is not surprised when things like this happen and that God has given His people instruction for what to do when things like this happen. During World War II, the British government coined a slogan and they put up tons of posters across the UK as it looked like war was looming ahead, and, and it was. And it, these posters had this motivational, motivational rallying cry, 
Keep calm and carry on. And people listened to that. They heeded it. It seemed to help. So I want to suggest a slogan for us, and it's my sermon title. It's not quite as pithy, but it's the theme of the sermon. Keep calm and follow Jesus in faith by practicing Presbyterianism. And if we all carefully listen to and heed what God tells us in 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 to 25, it won't be a cure-all, but it will be a help to our successfully navigating the trials that God has called us to go through. In a nutshell, God calls us to keep calm and follow Jesus in faith by practicing Presbyterianism. Wait a minute, you might say. Where does this passage mention Presbyterianism? Everywhere. The Greek word translated elder is presbyter, which is an umbrella term that includes both what we call ministers or teaching elders and ruling elders. And that umbrella use of the term is rooted in the Old Testament where both Levites, priests, and judges, lay people, serve together uh, and were called elders. And from that word, we get our word presbytery, which means a council of elders. We see it, for example, in 1 Timothy 4.14. The council of elders laid their hands on you. And that word translated council of elders is only one word, and that word is presbytery, or at least that's the way we would transliterate it into English. And from that word, we get Presbyterianism a term that refers to how King Jesus himself governs his church by his word and spirit through councils of elders acting jointly, acting together. So when I say Presbyterianism, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about the Orthodox Presbyterian Church or the Presbyterian Church in America or even churches that only use the label Presbyterian on their names but I'm talking about the way Christ governs and runs and leads His church. So that there are many who follow these same principles that don't use that term Presbyterianism. And as well, whether or not Christians use these exact same terms isn't as important as that they follow the Lord as He guides by His Spirit speaking through the Word and obey the principles that the Lord gives us. So in this scripture, the living God gives us three basic ways to follow Christ in faith by practicing Presbyterianism. Number one, respect our elders in a Christ-following way. Number two, select our elders in a Christ-following way. And number three, correct our elders in a Christ-following way. So first, God commands us to respect our elders in a Christ-following way. Look at verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy or deserving of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Worthy of honor, worthy of double honor. Above all, this means that we should honor our pastors and elders as official representatives of King Jesus himself. Not just human leaders, uh, but tools in the hands of King Jesus. Christ alone is the head and the king of the church. He's the shepherd of the church, and the way he rules it is by his Holy Spirit working through the Word of God using office bearers 
to administer that word, to minister that word. And that's why he delegates some of his own authority uh, to the elders. They function as King Jesus' official representatives to the church, clothed in Christ's own authority. So it's for Christ's sake uh, that we are to respect the authority of our elders. God also tells us this elsewhere in his word. For example, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So honor the elders as Christ's son representatives, but there's a flip side. One way we honor Christ's representatives is by resolutely refusing to respect as office bearers those who are not lawfully called to the office. And there's no shortage of self-sent ministers all across the internet, all through social media, all through society. I remember R.C. Sproul talking about the word apostle. It means sent one, one who is sent. And then he made this comment, some were sent, but others went. <laughs> and he was talking about those who called themselves, and there's no shortage of those who call themselves. And, then, and many of them have abilities, and many of them have charisma. But if they don't have some form of lawful calling, and again, it doesn't have to look exactly like the way our denomination does it, but there's some form of uh, knowing of the church, recognizing that Christ himself has called this person, then it's our duty to King Jesus not to honor them as ministers. Uh, verse 18, look at verse 18. It expands on the honor that's due to those who are lawfully called. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. That's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. And the worker deserves his wages. And that's a quote from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. Which, so the scripture is quoting a New Testament verse as God's word. And we could go down that rabbit trail, but uh, just put that seed in your mind and think about that. For sure, this means that congregations should pay their pastors, as God commands clearly in 1 Corinthians 9. The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living by the gospel. But notice, look closely at verse 17, 1 Timothy 5, 17. It also mentions ruling elders. Remember that term presbyter is an umbrella term. It includes what we call pastors and what we call ruling elders. And, and you see, it's right for us to recognize uh, and honor men for extra involvement. For example, what if a ruling elder goes to general assembly and he sacrifices family time uh, in order to do so? Wouldn't it be good to honor him financially? Can't honor translate into an honorarium? But there's another flip side, and that is pastors and elders serve under Christ's authority. Christ is the only king and head and shepherd of the church. Now, we've been praying for my 
son who is in law enforcement and was injured in the line of duty. And thank you so much for your prayers. But more than once, he and I have had conversations about uh, the breaking down of obedience to the fifth commandment in relation to the police in our modern society. And it's not just in relation to the police, but he and I have talked about it in relation to the police. So on the one hand, people under authority are more and more rebelling against that authority. Uh, there's a growing contempt for any authority whatsoever in our society. But on the other hand, those in authority are more and more rebelling against the nature of their authority, which is limited by God, and the purpose of their authority, which is to serve and protect the people that they are called to serve and protect. So there's, on the one hand, a growing contempt of authority, on the other hand, a growing abuse of authority. And both of these, these are two uh, parts of rebellion against the Lord Himself and His authority. And in the same way, our Lord Jesus delegates authority to the pastors and the elders so that they may serve His purposes. And I find it helpful to put those purposes into three categories. First of all, to feed God's people, which includes giving them good stuff and protecting them from harmful stuff. To feed God's people, secondly, to lead God's people, and that includes guiding them, administering uh, their uh, their corporate life and protecting them uh, from that which would harm them, to feed God's people, to lead God's people, and, and third, to intercede God's people, and that means praying for God's people. Feed, lead, intercede. The pastors and elders are not to abuse that authority, but instead they are to use it for the glory of God and for the good of His sheep. And so first, God calls us to respect our elders in a Christ-following way. Second, God commands us to select our elders in a Christ-following way. And we should always be quick and diligent to encourage and to train men for office, but we should at the same time be careful and prudent about ordaining and installing them. So look closely at verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. We're to pay close attention to the qualifications that God Himself specifies. And He does so in this book, in 1 Timothy 3, and He does so in Titus uh, chapter 1. And what has especially struck me, the older I've gotten, the more experience I've gotten, the more it has struck me that the lists of qualifications that God gives put a lot more emphasis on character than on skills. It doesn't rule out skills, that's there, but, but the overwhelming emphasis is on mature Christian character. We can create a lot of trouble for ourselves in the church by failing to wait on the Lord in this matter. And I can tell you stories from my own experience. But still, the Lord encourages us, don't despair of finding qualified officers. The Lord knows how discouraged we can get, so He reassures us. Look at verse 25. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So the Lord has people that He is preparing, that He is equipping, uh, that He is maturing, that He is ripening. Keep seeking and training gifted men 
And above all, keep seeking the Lord. Sooner or later, he'll bring to the surface the gifts and graces of his men for the task. So don't become weary in well-doing. And don't imagine that it's just up to us that the Lord has given us instructions and it's up to us to obey them. But realize that King Jesus himself is shepherding his flock. And that he's giving the gifts that are needed and that he is guiding us as we seek to follow him and he raises them up and uses them. So keep calm and keep following Jesus in faith. First, by respecting our elders in a Christ-following way. Second, by selecting our elders in a Christ-following way. But third, God commands us to correct our elders in a Christ-following way. And the reason this is mentioned here is that our Lord Jesus is, himself is building his church, but he's really got only one raw material to build it out of, and that's sinners. Redeemed sinners, uh, but still sinners. And that means that pastors, ruling elders, members, were all sinners, forgiven sinners in Christ, sinners in the process of being sanctified in Christ, but nonetheless sinners. And so our God also tells us how to correct elders in a Christ-following way. This is especially the role of the session or the presbytery, but God commands it to all of us. So on the one hand, this includes protecting elders from sinful accusations. Look at verse 19. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Just think about that. because That's kind of striking. God does insist in the Bible that a church court may never convict anyone unless there is the testimony of two or three witnesses, Deuteronomy 17.6, Deuteronomy 19.15. But in the case of elders, which is that umbrella term including pastors and elders, the church is not even to listen to accusations unless there are at least that many witnesses. Well, why should pastors and elders get such special treatment? And the reason is this. God knows that Satan works overtime to alienate people from their spiritual leaders. So Warren Wearsby wrote this, where there's smoke, there's fire may be a good slogan for a volunteer fire department, but it does not apply to local churches. Where there's smoke, there's fire could possibly mean that somebody's tongue has been set on fire by hell. James 3 verse 6. And John Stott adds this, the enemies of the gospel often take vengeance on the ministers of the gospel a smear campaign can completely ruin a leader's ministry. The devil works relentlessly uh, to alienate God's people from their spiritual leaders. Why does he do that? Well, John Calvin lived way back in the 16th century, but his comments on this verse are just as relevant now as they were in his day. Quote, It is necessary to guard against human malice in this way, for none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. This comes not only from the difficulty of their duties, which are so great that sometimes they sink under them or stagger and halt or take a false step so that the wicked can find many occasions of finding fault with them. But added to that, even when they do all their duties correctly and commit not even the smallest error, they never avoid a thousand criticisms. It is indeed a trick of Satan to estrange men from their ministers so as gradually to bring their teaching into contempt. 
In this way, not only is wrong done to innocent people whose reputation is undeservedly injured, but the authority of God's holy teaching is diminished. And it is this that Satan is chiefly concerned to achieve. In other words, the main reason why Satan persists in accusing pastors and elders is not because those pastors and elders are such important people in and of themselves. No, what Satan is mainly striving to do is to sever God's people, distance God's people, divorce God's people from the means of grace. Why? In order to sever and distant God's people from the God who works through those means. God, Satan wants to distance God's people from God himself and from the grace of God in Christ. And we need each of us to vigilantly guard against letting the devil do that. Not in our hearts, not in our families, not in our uh, circle of friends, not in our congregation. And one very important way is to refuse to even listen to accusations against elders unless they are brought by two or three witnesses. Now, I knew of a case uh, where a pastor uh, finished preaching and he finished the worship service and one of the men in the congregation was very upset at him and wanted to talk to him. And so the two of them were talking and they went into a room, just the two of them. And they talked for a while and later they came out and all seemed to be uh, well. Uh, but sometime after that, the man said that while they were in that room, the pastor assaulted him. And he told his wife and he told his best friend. And the three of them actually brought charges against the pastor to the presbytery. But only the pastor and that man were in the room. Now in those charges, they said there were three witnesses, the man, his wife, and his best friend. Were those three really witnesses in God's eyes? And we could go on because the devil stirs up stuff like this all the time. And even when people are well-meaning, often they, they inadvertently fall into uh, the devil's traps. He's constantly seeking to divide and conquer uh, God's people, Christian families, Christian congregations, Christian denominations. So we need to guard our pastors and elders against uh, unfair accusations. At the same time, however, uh, pastors and elders can sin and do sin, and the session or presbytery must protect the church from them. So look at verse 20. Those who are sinning are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning. This is still speaking about elders. So not only are pastors and elders to get special protection if they're accused, but at the same time, if they are found guilty, they're to be judged all the more strictly. But what comprises such a sin? Well, first, this scripture uses the present tense, which implies that the elders in question, the pastors or elders, are presently sinning, and probably that they're refusing to confess and forsake their sin. And secondly, uh, these rules would apply in any case in which an elder was willfully transgressing God's word in some substantial matter of faith or practice. For example, promoting false teaching or dividing the congregation 
or engaging in immorality or and on and on. You can think of uh, things like that. But why is it that God commands that pastors and elders are to be judged all the more strictly if they are found guilty? Because they represent Jesus Christ in a special way. And Jesus holds them accountable to that. He holds them to account to a higher standard. And this is to guard the good name of the Lord, and it's also to guard the health and well-being of believers and congregations. So again, John Stott makes a helpful comment on this verse. Such a public rebuke, though an effective deterrent, must be the last resort, however. It is a safe rule that private sins should be dealt with privately and only public sins publicly. It is neither right nor necessary to make what is private public until all other possibilities have been exhausted. Well, whatever the case, in, in each of these cases, God tells us never to take sides automatically. Look at verse 21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. It's human nature to prejudge a case. Oh, I, I like that guy, so he must be right. That guy rubs me the wrong way, so he must be wrong. But God says no matter who's involved, no matter how we feel, by God's grace we're always to seek to take Christ's side. Keep calm and follow Jesus by practicing Presbyterianism. But at the same time, the Lord warns us uh, that we're not going to experience perfect justice in this life. We're not going to experience poetic justice in this life. We're not to expect it. Look at verse 24. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In some cases, it becomes clear that this person is in sin and needs to be corrected. In other cases, we don't know. I'm thinking of someone like Ravi Zacharias. And it was not until after he died that it came out that he was guilty of very serious sins against some of God's sheep. But God said, That's, don't be surprised when that sort of thing happens. Don't let it shake your faith. The sins of some come clear in this life. The sins of others don't come clear until later. As long as we're on this side of glory, uh, the church will include sinners. In fact, that's all that God has to work with. And that includes me, and that includes you. And unhappily, the church will also include hypocrites, people who have not been born again, people who do not have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And alas, that can include pastors and elders. The Lord tells us this, uh, but He does not give us a license to try to read hearts. Again, another case that I'm aware of, a pastor uh, was accused of something. He showed that he could not possibly have done uh, what the person was accusing him of, but his accuser quickly retorted, well, you thought it. Well, God condemns such presumption. For example, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So don't imagine that you can read thoughts and motives. Only God can do that. And to try to do that is to play God, and that's a serious sin. 
So first, God calls us to respect our elders in a Christ-following way. Second, He calls us to select our elders in a Christ-following way. Third, God calls us to correct our elders in a Christ-following way. Now, if you have your Bible open, you might notice that there's a verse that I skipped that I didn't say anything about, and that's verse 23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness or illnesses. Why do you suppose we find this verse right here in the middle of this discussion? Some seem to think it's so alcohol-sipping Christians can tease their alcohol-abstaining uh, brethren, or, and I have to confess that I've used the verse that way in my... <laughs> um, but I'm sure that that's not why God put it there. Why do you think God mentions wine in this context? I think the reason is that God knows and cares about the fact that diligent Christ-following church leadership involves a lot of stress. So the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to express concern for Timothy's stomach problems. And in this way, the Holy Spirit encourages you and me to be sensitive to the fact that faithful pastors and elders face tremendous pressures, and He encourages us to try to help and encourage them in practical ways. Now, our sinful flesh has a powerful bent to neglect God's instructions regarding respecting, selecting, and correcting elders. And alas, I have fallen short in many ways in my own personal pilgrimage, and, and I suspect that we all have. And alas, these sins of omission lay the groundwork and plant the seeds for even more grievous sins and omissions. It brings to mind something that Charles Spurgeon said, it's easier to crush the egg than it is to kill the serpent. But we tend to neglect crushing the egg because we want to take the path of least resistance. One of my spiritual fathers, J.G. Voss, said, uh, the path of least resistance makes rivers and men's crooked. That was a quote from an old proverb, but the, then Voss added, it makes churches crooked too. As long as we're on this side of glory and committing to real people in the real world, we can't avoid these problems. And my reason for choosing this uh, text was not to say, if we just do this, then we'll sail through uh, smooth waters the rest of our way, because that's not what God promises. In this world, you will have much trouble, Jesus promised us. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And if we stick close to Jesus, His victory becomes our victory. We become more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us and gave His life for us. And so if we stick close to Jesus, we can navigate uh, these problems. So keep calm and keep following Jesus by, in faith by practicing Presbyterianism. Keep looking to Jesus in faith as the one who is saving sinners, who is gathering his church together, who is guiding his church, who is protecting his church, who is perfecting his church. Keep trusting him to forgive our failures and to renew us. Keep trusting him to work in spite of our weaknesses and failures and to work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. And keep 
willing and doing his good pleasure with his, by his grace. Keep obeying his precepts and principles as we find them in his word. Remember, the Lord Jesus is the one who is building his church. He doesn't just give us instructions, an owner's manual, and say, do this. No, he says, follow me as I do this. He's the one who the gates of hell can never prevail against. And the gates of hell are constantly uh, dashing against uh, the church. Satan is constantly seeking to divide and conquer the church. And he's constantly accusing the brethren. So if we stick close to Jesus, trusting him for ongoing forgiveness and new obedience, he himself will supernaturally bring us safely through the fire. Amen. Let's pray together. O living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who love your church, who is gathering and perfecting her from all nations, preparing for your son a bride without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. Please, O Lord, revive your church. Please reform her. Uh, please cleanse her. Where she's weak, please strengthen her. Where she's strong, please establish her. Where she is wrong, please correct her. Where she is broken, please fix her. Where she is divided, please reunite her. Where she is in danger, uh, please deliver her. Where she is in need, please provide for her. Where she is persecuted, please protect her. Please make her to be a garden of delight for you to walk through and delight yourself in. Please grant her the leaders that she so needs. Please raise up faithful pastors and elders. Make them faithful and wise. Faithful so they don't deceive others. Wise so they don't deceive themselves. And please keep sending us each to our knees to seek your blessing on your church, remembering that unless you build the house, the workers labor in vain for nothing, and that apart from you, we can do nothing. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. Let's continue to pray to our Lord, singing the hymn, Jesus with thy church abide, and it is a prayer. And it's a very good prayer, and it's a bit longer than our usual hymns. Uh, but remember that we are praying as we sing. So address uh, your singing to the Lord and seek His grace. Let's stand as we sing.
Lord sends us out to trust and obey Him, lift up your hearts and receive His blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.